Hello, and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. Ah, you know, the thing with catchphrases, I always try to put the emphasis on different syllables every single time I say it, just to like, I don't know, freshen it up a bit for myself. Yeah, but... <laughs> new ways to play. That's right. I'll have, to, I'll have to get really creative in a few weeks once I run out of possible ways to read that in an interesting way. But anyways, <laughs> that is entirely uninteresting behind the scenes work. My name is Ryan Heyman. I am called H for the sake of convenience on this podcast because my podcast co-host name is also Ryan. In this case, Quintel, you can call me Q and H. Where it's we've hit an inflection point here. Inflection point, just like your voice hit an inflection point when <laughs> really, you were uh... really, really high. <laughs> and uh-huh. we, it's time to change formats. We are Uh-oh. a topical gaming show, and we want to stay, you know, <laughs> with the modern design trends. So uh-huh. we're proud to announce today to our listeners, we are shifting from pitching video game ideas to pitching ways to incorporate loot boxes into <laughs> existing video games. Yes, this is loot right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it seems like every new game that comes out has these loot box things, and they're incorporated in more and more gross ways. And I think if you and I put our minds to it, we could probably find some better ways to do this. I would love going, I, you know, I have the SNES Classic that did pan out, and mm-hmm. playing it... I could say, hey, I would love to buy Mario some new hats or be able to customize my Star Which Fox you'll be able ship. to do pretty soon here. I, well, that's true. And just be able to, I don't know, say give Nintendo potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for meaningless stuff. Or you know what would be terrible is loot boxes in Animal Crossing. <laughs> oh my God, that actually would probably work very well. So I'm, I regret that we said it. <laughs> That's right. Don't get any funny ideas. I want to pitch some video games. How about you? Uh, yeah, okay. I can I can probably work that into my <laughs> schedule somewhere. Uh, can we make that a thing every week where I have to convince you that we're going <laughs> to do this show? Yeah. So this week, what is my incentive to continue doing the podcast that we both created? <laughs> mm. We are going to put $1.99 into a uh, invisible paywall and it is going to shoot out a box that has video game ideas we just read them on the show mm, that does sound really alluring I, I can't resist the uh the glittery appeal of randomized gambling oh it's true right well anyways i'll start us off today my pitch today is simple i don't know exactly how it's going to work mechanically but i have a kind of a core concept in my mind that i want to build out from so I'm thinking something uh, kind of like a, hmm, what is that, a Peter Moleno game that was just republished for the iPhone? It's a goddess, is that it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it's a, a goddess-style kind of civilization-building game where you play kind of a god figure that oversees a semi-autonomous civilization that's colonizing a small planet uh not tiny tiny not like mario galaxy tiny but something where maybe civ revolution tiny yeah yeah where you can kind of see the entire scope of the planet and every so often you would come in close orbital rotation with other planets with other gods overseeing them and you would be able to basically use your planet uh, all the elements, the the oceans, the volcanoes, the 
the stones, whatever you have on your planet to mm-hmm. help the other planets, to attack the other planets and mm-hmm. try to extinguish their civilizations and um, rebuild in between coming into contact with these other planets. Uh, and basically that's what I have, just this idea of planets coming close to each other and having their uh, natural uh, resources being up-earthed and thrown at each other violently. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, start the clock there. Just to start off, do you picture this as a multiplayer or is this the other gods are passive AI? I can go either way with that. I think having both options would be useful. I can't help but wonder, like, it's the battle of the planets of sorts. So mm-hmm. how a water world could be affected by or or attack some sort of rocky volcanic world and what the maybe the planets come out all the better for it. That, that's that's kind of interesting <laughs> to me, too, of like, oh, thank God we needed some water um, or we needed some extra land to build our civilization on. There's another game that is sort of, uh, I don't know the name of it, a simulator of the universe where you can kind of mm, mess around yeah. with physics and it tosses planets yeah, and crashes into a each universe other. universe sandbox. It's actually a local game to Seattle here. Oh, okay. So universe sandbox. I Could I potentially crash my planet into somebody else's planet? Because that sounds <laughs> kind of cool. You, you certainly can in that game. Yeah. Uh, of course, in an RTS type game, which I'm pitching, that would be a uh, not a sound strategy, probably. <laughs> I do like maybe seeing a calendar or a zoomed out view so I can plan mm-hmm. when I'm going to hit rotation with other planets and know that these are potentially AI or people planning and plotting against what they're going to do about my planet and maybe more information if I have many scientists, I assume, working on my planet mm-hmm. with telescopes and stuff, maybe more information becomes available to me the closer that that planet gets. Our research team is like, oh, well, they've got X and X-based life forms, and they they have cities where their infrastructure is relying on you know, water electricity or something. And you're saying, okay, well, now I know if I take that out or specifically, because you almost are treating the planets as giant, uh, kind of uncontrollable spaceships. Yeah, essentially this is kind of like a StarCraft style game, except it's both RTS and turn-based in a way where you only have a limited window to attack each of your foes. And depending on how many players, how many civilizations are in this match, uh, the the orbits can cross over with each other that many times. And so potentially it could be just you know one-on-one and you have a good long while to prepare for the next orbit around uh, the next time that your orbits come into contact and uh, and then you spend you know the three or so turns attacking and then you go back into your preparation phase again or if you have you know six enemies then they can all kind of interlock with each other and it's a lot more kind of frantic and hectic to uh, prepare for enemy attacks and I'm thinking you can kind of prioritize either research or like sheer military force on your planet, uh, mm. depending on the type of civilization that you want to raise. Either you can have a more effective attack uh, being bolstered by nuclear weapons or a more kind of harsh treatment of the landscape, which can unearth more lava and rocks and stuff that can do some real heavy damage. Um, or you can go more research focused. And as you were saying, 
get an earlier peek at what your opponents are doing, where their centers of activity are, and what they really need to continue their civilization. Often in StarCraft, I'm way more concerned about building up my base and moving up the tech tree than I am Mm -hmm. uh, about the military conflict that will no doubt ensue at any moment. And so I often fall victim to the uh, the strategy I think is called a Zerg rush, yeah, um, yep. where people are just uh, <laughs> coming at me too soon. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I didn't even get all my buildings built. Yeah, and I do like the idea of being able to figure out how to have that scientific victory, whether it's the speed of which you're able to transport troops over to the other planet, or maybe instead of investing in a military, you're investing in like automated planetary defense rays or something Mm -hmm. like that. That is like, yeah, I'm not so interested in the fighting part, but I I love climbing up this tech tree. And then finally, I almost love the idea of some of my troops or whatever could potentially become stranded on the other person's planet Mm. as they, they leave each other. And now you potentially have, you know, these could not, maybe conflicting societies that are trying Mm -hmm. to live on your planet and you're trying to, you know, wrangle them all to behave. And it takes, you know, a a cycle or something for them to kind of become more one with the population. It'd be interesting if you had to make decisions that could encourage your followers, your, your citizens to like believe in you like a God would. If you invested in a more scientific community, if they would move away from following your direct orders uh, versus if you yeah. picked a more kind of like primitive warlike society that they would, you know, be more religious as well. Or, you know, it could be all sorts of different like configurations of, you know, maybe you're revered, maybe you're feared. Uh, and a lot of the ways that uh, black and white series played with that reverence of, of God figures. Yeah, and there's a risk-reward aspect to the mixing of cultures, too, which is Mm -hmm. that maybe, well, it's a little harder to wrangle these people for a certain amount of time or organize your next kind of run at this fellow planet, you maybe also, you know, if they left certain technology and stuff in your world, it's going to be that much easier to research it and kind of incorporate it into what your existing systems are. And of course, not every encounter has to be hostile either. You know, we kind of pitch this with a uh, you know war between planets type of thing. But just like in civilization, you can choose to ally with other planets. You can choose to just kind of like peacefully pass by and observe each other's communities. But, you know, always kind of having your uh, finger on the trigger just in case something happens. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I can't help but conjure the idea of sending potentially planet to planet communications before planets meet each other and be like, Hey, we're friendly, seriously. And then (laughs) the whole level of, you know, trickery and espionage then associated with that. Right. Which is like, you tell them, Hey, it's so nice to meet you. Essentially waving from planet to planet as you pass by. And then as you get really close, they're like, all right, now put out the warships. Yeah. But it would be really interesting to see kind of an entire, like you spend, most of the game just kind of like organizing your planet and making use of the continents and the oceans and the resources. And and you spend a lot of time just getting really familiar with what your planet looks like. Be really interesting to kind of see another entire game board essentially come into rotation with you. Um, And then you, uh, 
you catch that glimmer in Space Gandhi's eyes and the nukes start to fly. (laughs) (laughs) What I really like about the concept, too, is the idea of it's almost the opposite of No Man's Sky, where No Man's Sky is kind of like, hey, hop from planet to planet till you get to the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. And you can, if you want, kind of hunker down and, and stay in one place. But the idea that seeing something decidedly different um is a rarity makes it Mm. that much more extraordinary right which when you when you see that player and then you know you're you're going down a full you know fictional year and there's a rotation there and then you see him again and you're like wow you accomplished all that since last time (laughs) the potential community that could grow around this maybe one galaxy is a pretty pacifist peaceful you know i ended up in a cool peaceful neighborhood yeah and then there's others that are like hell-bent on making sure that everyone's annihilated right and they're the lonely person in their galaxy and maybe there are ways to incorporate other moons into your system by blowing apart other celestial bodies and you know giving you extra layers of defense or incorporating asteroid belts or yeah. even conquering another enemy planet and then you know you as the god has to like jump between the two of them to try to you know make use of both of them at the same time kind of changing the gameplay style there yeah or if say the the planet that rotates closest to the sun is always uninhabited and Mm. the the planets are essentially competing to who can you know (laughs) migrate to the center of the galaxy and harvest sun energy so that they can travel to another galaxy Ah, that'd be interesting. Or you get like a super laser if you get to the middle and you're <laughs> yeah. able to harness the I sun energy. I will destroy the sun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyways, that is uh, enough time spent with that one. I mean, it's never enough time, but never. that's what we do to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, I don't really have a great name for that. I'm going to call it, uh, and this is not the name I would market it under for obvious reasons, but I'm going to call it War of the Worlds because essentially <laughs> that's what it is. But yeah, you know, I don't think this in the public domain yet, so I'd have to change it if it ever went to market. Yeah, we got to get Tom Cruise involved as well. That never turns out badly, as we've seen time and time again in recent <laughs> right. years. Okay, well, I, like you, don't have a name, but uh, maybe we can come up with one after after we workshop this one. Cool. What do you have for us today? I've been thinking a lot about survival games and how they are almost always about taking resources and destroying a lot of the natural beings, Laura Croft and Tomb Raider and stuff. You kind of kill animal as if you're a sportsman and they're just at the end of the day, resources and pelts for you to upgrade your weapons. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I wanted to frame a survival game. Imagine being a child, uh, a Boy Scout, Girl Scout, um, and you're with your troop in, say, the California Redwoods, and you get separated from the group, you run into a bear, and this giant bear chases you into a cave. And that's kind of the exposition for a game where you live day by day um, trying to get resources to survive or, um, you know, weather, uh, (laughs) weather, weather events, quite literally. And you have to kind of venture out and you know in this maybe fairly confined space that the the bear is somewhere in the world (laughs) and it is going to find you and be very scary and chase you back to the cave. And you're also dealing with a limited resource pool of 
stamina like a Stardew Valley. You can only do so much per day before you need to go back and get to sleep. So you are going out and you're harvesting berries and all this stuff and using your, you know, your scout handbook to know what's poisonous or what creatures are dangerous and maybe even adding things to that notebook as you discover and catalog them. And then slowly, day by day, you can choose to start using some of your resources to try to build a relationship with the bear, <laughs> which is, I, I guess, uh-huh. maybe the subject of plenty of books and Hollywood movies, but you're, you're kind of... And Simpsons episodes. <laughs> Simpsons episodes. Um, but yeah, you're saying, okay, what if I, you know, give the bear some food? What if I get it some water or if I, uh, you know, spring a trap so that it doesn't get caught in it or whatever? Mm. And then eventually you're in this relationship where, you know, potentially the bear is leading you to new and undiscovered places in the forest or the bear has you know there's a I hate to call it a mission but some event occurs where you have to protect the the bear or even maybe uh. the bear's children or something and uh, it, in, in taking it instead of a person to person but really trying to build a relationship in the, almost the way that the last guardian had you building the relationship with the giant beast yeah. Um, and doing it day after day. And maybe there's the end of the game is after so many days, uh, you, you're discovered by your troop and it ends and you're airlifted out. And that run was whatever story you made of it with that bear. Mm-hmm. Um, or it can be a potentially, you know, long term thing. And you're you're there until you're able to reach some you know, milestone, whether it's um, a location or some piece of technology that allows you to get your communication out or, or you, maybe you even choose to stay. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, that's what I'm thinking. Let's, uh, let's start the clock there. Uh, that's interesting because first of all, like it seems like this is kind of like two games jammed into one, which is what's cool. It makes that transition as soon as you befriend the bear to become, more of kind of like a buddy adventure and of like, yeah, uh, like the last more Guardian. of an uncharted last Guardian. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you know, up until that point I was thinking like, okay, how is this different from like, don't starve for instance, because yeah. there are monsters in there that you want to stay away from that kind of limit the extent to which you're able to progress until you create machines that can kill them. Sure. Uh, but I, I do like that killing the bear isn't necessarily the objective. Like you probably, could if you put together the right materials, but you know, that mm-hmm. would just kind of result in you being handed up a, a pretty satisfactory survival game. And so maybe that's fine, but being able to unlock like an entirely separate type of game, if you do well enough at the survival portion is, is interesting. And it definitely gives some, uh, some extra weight to getting good at the survival sim aspect of it. Yeah, I I'm enchanted by the idea of <laughs> the way The Last Guardian built nonverbal communication mm-hmm. um, between you and, and the creature and the way that that paired with the uh, adrenaline from the opening of it, one of the modern Tomb Raider games where this bear is savage and it's chasing you through the wilderness is very scary, right? And the ability to transition from that state of, you know, terrifying to complete trust. I, I love somebody 
investing so much time that like yeah i i saw the bear's children right or i saw mm-hmm. uh there was a second bear <laughs> like you know that kind of stuff um or i was able to get resource x y or z because it you know helped me discover it or, or dug for it or whatever um one person rode the bear you know and people are sharing those stories with each other in a way that if you just plow through it critical path it yeah, you have a pretty straightforward survival game that maybe, you know, I I don't want to say it's not too special. Obviously, it's going to be compelling enough to be a game, but um, not as special as what it could potentially be. So are you wanting to let this unwrap when it turns into that kind of second half of the game, that the buddy adventure game, turn that into kind of like a linear story that is to be told? Uh, perhaps not in a like cutscene to cutscene kind of a way like an Uncharted, but... Um, more of like, like there is a story defined. There is one set of set pieces that you can you can yeah. get to, and then each time that you give it a try, you can get a little farther or take a slightly different route to get there. I think that that's a a great way of thinking about it. I imagined it initially as being a series of events that happen only through you donating these resources or doing helpful things. Um, for a creature that potentially does not like you for some period of time. Um, and the more of those things you do, the times where you encounter the bear, if you encounter the bear at all that day, because you do, you are working with limited energy, there could be something potentially extraordinary happening. But I, I love the format too, where once you've done enough, these set pieces are all queued up essentially yeah. where you're going to experience them in a particular order that could really have a, a very emotional and satisfying arc to it. You know, maybe even once you get to that second portion of the game, you learn a little bit more about the bear, which can help your run next time. You learn what kind of food he likes and what kinds of, you know, things he's afraid of and um, all these things that you can use to assist you in your, your next time around so you can get to the adventure game sooner if you wish to. H, could you imagine having to make the decision trying to scare off someone that's potentially hunting or going to kill the bear <laughs> and knowing that that was potentially your ticket to, you know, quote, reality or society again? If you're being airlifted out after a certain amount of time, uh, then, you know, you could just kind of hunker down in the cave and as long as you don't starve... And maybe after, you know, 14 days or however long that would take to elapse within the game time, uh, you will see an ending of the game. And so, you know, either way, like you are being saved as long as you survive that long. But you really being able to experience this kind of magical story of the forest is your incentive to, to go further and to take risks like that. And I do like the idea of depending on what, where in the timeline um, you potentially fail having the end of movie cutscene at the end where they dis- potentially kind of morbidly discover your body um, <laughs> and um, and maybe a really rewarding run. Uh, not only do you make it out, but, you know, it's a montage of the moments you've potentially had with the bear or um, if you die near the end, they find a bunch of the artifacts and things that you've collected mm. and they say, oh my God, goodness, what happened here? As you see them puzzling, you know, trying to put together the pieces that they can't quite make sense of. It would be really interesting to kind of uncover these ancient temples, kind of like Tomb Raider style. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, just try to 
find things and and discover new locations um maybe if you choose to stay in the forest with your new bear friend <laughs> then you would have to find some way to like fake your own death to put everybody off your trail <laughs> yeah right 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 and i and i love the you know into the sunset you riding the bear uh yeah. full jungle book-esque yeah. kind of ending <laughs> uh yeah so it's interesting there's a survival game that has a definitive ending uh kind of a roguelite type thing where through gathering new information you can make it slightly easier for yourself but always kind of working towards that ending you know i think Survival games in particular uh, are typically within the roguelike family because it tends to work really well. The kind of randomization, the replayability, yeah. but maybe like, you know, putting one out there that doesn't need to be infinitely replayable, something that can end is uh is kind of fresh and kind of uh kind of a brave step that can get it noticed. At the end of the day, it's all focused around I really want people to walk away sharing stories with each other about how they survived and what they did to survive and maybe one person was like, "Oh man, I found the berries and I just ate berries <laughs> all the time and it it was boring or whatever." And another person is telling this tale of like, "I discovered this whole cave system and it turned out to be artifacts from World War 2 in there." And <laughs> all this crazy stuff. Yeah, that would be really cool. And this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, there's a uh, double fine game called The Cave. Have you played that at all? I haven't. No, I got to check it out. Yeah, that one was directed by Ron Gilbert. It's kind of a, it's a 2D platformer, a side-on platformer, uh, but it kind of follows a lot of the logic of point-and-click adventure games and a lot of the type of puzzle structure that you would see it in point-and-click. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like a nice way to play even a multiplayer playthrough of a point and click style game that's really accessible for people who haven't spent that much time with that genre in the past. But anyways, it has different branches of the caves depending on the characters that you choose to take down. I think there's seven total and you can take three of them in each run. Oh, interesting. Uh, and then each of them is telling the story of that character's life in a way and has has artifacts from their life and from their story. And it does a really good job of of crafting a narrative. And so, yeah, maybe having kind of multiple branches of this cave that tell different stories that give you different details as you go through them and, and kind of encouraging you to come back later and see what else you can find. And, uh, you know, maybe not even like uh, like branches, uh, but, you know, just kind of pushing in to this cave into the darkest caverns and different ways you can stumble upon different trails of narratives to find be kind of cool yeah that's really cool yeah absolutely if this thing makes sense at all as potentially a more than one player experience whether mm -hmm. it's a co-op or i guess it'd be ridiculous if there are multiple children lost in the woods uh all in the same scenario Maybe but a buddy system both buddies get lost. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe it's the entire troop, right? That gets mm. uh, stranded. And so that's kind of an in-fiction reason to do it. But if if there was that way, kind of like Don't Starve Together for mm. people to work together to survive, and that could create a fun scenario where a playthrough goes totally Lord of the Flies <laughs> on people. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they're arguing about who holds the conch and that kind of thing. Yeah. And there's always the specter of that bear in the background to keep everyone humble. Yeah. Anyways, that's all the time we have uh, time for. That's a weird <laughs> way to say that sentence. 
Uh, yeah. Anyways, do you, you, you said before that you don't have a name for that. Don't have a name. I need some help on this one. All right. Well, there's the right to bear bearers. Um, <laughs> oh boy. There's, uh, barely surviving. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Your u- puns are usually so spot on, but today, <laughs> H, what, what's happening? Uh, it's bear that is, uh. Bear and afraid. Bear and afraid is pretty good i'm, I'm pretty happy with that one. i think we can go okay yeah yeah, yeah. bear and afraid i like bear and afraid <laughs> that's uh that's an amusing name for an amusing game anyways we have a community submission from a david vandergrint vandergrint maybe i'm uh it's a dutch last name and so i'm i'm afraid i'm a little spotty in the pronunciation there but uh thank you david for sending this in he has two ideas actually we're only going to be reading the first of them today Uh, But we will certainly circle back to that second one eventually. Anyways, David says, Genre, third-person combat RPG, in the style of a semi-realistic Dragon Ball Z kind of world, as in, a realistic world where some people have extraordinary powers, which mostly revolve around flying and manipulation of energy. The game would be about 60% story, and 40% fighting your way through hordes of monstrous enemies to an end boss of a stage in a semi-3D environment. Maybe homeworld-type UI? And the story could play out in a typical comic kind of way, like the story in the Fire Emblem series, for example. As you go through the story of the game, you grow in power, and you add more abilities to your moveset. But here's the catch. The powers you develop are linked to your actions in the story, If you get really mad at your friends often, that might be a great boon in battle. But if you're always Mr. Nice, you might not develop much in the way of special powers. Emotional outbursts can mean a great evolution of your battle powers, but erode your friendship with characters. This would have to go together with a branching storyline, with extremes being your Mr. Nice, but will need the help of all of your friends to defeat a great evil. And you'll mostly be coordinating because you're... Uh, because you're not much of a fighter yourself. Or maybe you can beat down a great evil with one hand behind your back, but you will then have to battle all of your once friends because they want to protect the world against the evil dictator you've become. Options are to show the effect of your character when making story choices or not to do so, both of which are an interesting experiment. All right, let's start the clock there. David, this is really cool and... I think speaks to how we've been mashing up genres here. I like the idea of something going from fighting game to fighting manager, I -hmm. guess, uh, all in one spectrum, maybe tied to that Paragon Renegade sort of system you see a lot in video games. Yeah, I think something in the style of a uh, Dynasty Warriors type thing would work out here where you have the story encounters in between battles and then you can rush into a rather kind of fluid combat focused uh, 3d brawler type of of uh, fighting for the for the battles but I like that this is grounded in a old school type war uh, the kind of like you know swords and sorcery type of war yeah uh, but also this kind of grounding in the various emotions is really interesting and you know maybe instead of uh, you know David was pitching kind of the the mean guy and the nice guy are the two extremes. One of them is very, you know, the, the meanness can be focused into great power in the battlefield and, and the niceness can be focused into having the respect of your comrades in battle. 
right. uh, which is certainly a, you know, a worthwhile way to tell the story. It, it would work well for this type of game, but uh, you know, I feel like that has been explored in uh, like Infamous, where you have that kind of good and evil meter oh, giving yeah, you different yeah. powers, or in the Knights of the Old Republic games, I did a really good job of your comrades turning on you when you lose their respect. I think uh, KOTOR 2 did that especially well. Um, so I'm I'm interested as a thought experiment in branching this out into a more uh, like graciated, like three-dimensional view of emotions. Like if we even take the, you know, however many like eight primary emotions or something and kind of create like a, like a grid of these emotions and, uh, you know, have many different expressions along the spectrum of emotions. You can be highly angry and sad and that can manifest in battle in a certain way and manifest in the story in a certain way. You can be highly happy and nervous and jealous and that could manifest in certain ways or you could be low in all levels of emotion mm-hmm. and you know that can give you different uh gameplay choices later on but yeah i think having uh an exploration of these different emotions would be cool kind of like uh, inside out that cool pixar movie and uh, kind of like that movie Maybe not codifying any of the emotions as being strong or weak, but maybe they give you different types of powers uh, based on the energy of the emotion. You know, kind of like um, like Captain Planet, all the kids have different types of powers based on their different elements. Except heart. Nobody liked that power. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so that's that's really cool and i think making that three-dimensional look at emotions gives you a little bit more palette to work with in terms of after a while the decision of like being mean becomes a very locked in thing of somebody's like okay Mm -hmm. this is the mean run and i'm gonna pick every mean option and i'm going to be the mean guy because the mean guy has power x and i want to use power x in combat right Whereas, H, you're going to have to help me with this name, mm-hmm. but there's some game where everybody plays a wizard and you're combining elements hmm. kind of on the fly. Um, man, I wish I could remember it. That I'm... Oh, I, oh, yes. I have a picture of it in my mind, but I'm also not remembering the name of it. Anyway, in, in that game, there's a lot of allusions to you're just kind of discovering your cocktail of powers by mixing up the powers that you have. And so I like the idea of before battle making decisions that are emotional in one way or another, whether they're depressing or they are more manic and they're happy and seeing before each kind of encounter what that ends up being for you in that encounter and and maybe the, the quote, right choice Uh, or the choice that somebody might make isn't necessarily appropriate for every battle, right? So Mm. it's like, well, this was actually a battle that you really need to go in with a lot of joy and have your friends really have your back because it's best to be managed rather than on the ground kind of swinging your axe hoping for the best. So one of the things I wanted to point out here is, is I think David talked about the Dragon Ball quote, Xenoverse, mm-hmm. um, as part of a potential setting here. Do you, in your mind, picture this as straight up becoming a fighting game or a more of a, 
like open battlefield like you you had mentioned dynasty warriors at one point yeah would that make sense as sort of the lone warrior just slicing through hordes of people versus the management portion of it yeah you know when you brought up the fire emblem example and kind of as he was describing it i for some reason kind of got in my head the picture of brutal legend in Mm. um in that you are kind of a singular character action type fighter on the battlefield, but you're also directing the flow of the battle, much like you do in the warriors style games. Uh, And, you know, brutal legend has actually probably pretty good correlates for a few of these different types of armies. There's uh, different armies in that game that you'll encounter for those of you who haven't played it based on different sub genres of heavy metal And so you'll get uh, kind of the traditional, the long hair, the open leather vests type heavy metal uh, that could represent like anger. You get the glam rock type heavy metal, which could represent pride. (laughs) You get the uh, emo metal, the uh, kind of black metal and and death metal, the the paint your face white type metal that Mm -hmm. could represent sadness or something like that. And uh, so that could be an like an interesting grounding point if you, or a research point if you're looking to make a game like this. I'm also caught up in, you know, he said 60% story, 40% fighting. So in mm-hmm. that 60%, now are we backing into almost a Telltale-like series of events or, or point-and-click adventure game to express these things? Because I feel like a, a lot of the emotions, obviously, probably need to be expressed through dialogue, right? Yeah, you know, there's a really cool subgenre of games, I think especially popular on PC, but they're starting to branch out into consoles as well. For example, uh, I think there's a, a couple of King Arthur role-playing games. There's like a Game of Thrones type of uh, RTS. There's ah. uh, the Banner Saga uh, does a good job of having battles, but also a lot of really weighty decisions and story moments that you have to make in between battles. And sometimes battles can be avoided by kind of negotiating with the other army or even a member of your kingdom marrying into the family of the other kingdom. And that kind of like political intrigue in these um, that can sway the, the results of a battle. There is precedent for a story heavy war game. It's also interesting to me to think about in the more contemporary Nether Realm Studios fighting games with Injustice mm-hmm. and Mortal Kombat, they they do such a great job of putting this. It's essentially exposition around all their fights of yeah. people having these uh, essentially a war of words right before the fight begins, mm-hmm. and the ability to just and and feel free to steal this Ed Boon have a couple dialogue choices that might have some effect on the battle that is about to mm. ensue, right? So I'm going and I'm having a conversation with these people. Maybe it avoids the conflict altogether, or maybe it, you know, says just the right thing or uses just the right emotion to make sure that you get said buff um, before you go into um, the fight. Yeah, or you could fall into somebody's trap. Yeah, start off with the disadvantage in the battle. Yeah, somebody gets you upset enough or somebody gets yeah, you riled yeah. up or or it lures you in with uh, happiness <laughs> and a and a false sense of safety. You know, anyways, we're out of time on that one. And uh, now David does pitch a name for this. He calls it Emotus. 
says from Latin, which means to move, to stir up, or to agitate. Of course, the word emotion is derided, which is cool. I like that. Emotus. <laughs> Man, we should do way more Latin-based names on the show. I feel like it adds a, an air of class. Should be exclusively <laughs> Latin. <laughs> I might, you say that, but my next game, you watch. I'll figure out how to get Latin into it. Oh, by the way, um, I found out it's Magicka 2. Thank oh, you to okay. my Steam library for sure. <laughs> uh, figuring that out for me. And remember, you can write in all of your video game pitches to playwrightcast at gmail.com or go to playwrightcast.com and there's a little menu where you can hit pitch or playwrightcast.com slash pitch and you can share your idea right away. That is P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T dot com. Very important. Yep. Yep. It is a pun on the words play and write. And not necessarily <laughs> the way that you spell the word playwright. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, anyways, uh, we would like to encourage everyone to uh, share our podcast among their gaming friends. We would love to hear ideas from them, or uh, we would just love to kind of get in their ears if they're interested in exploring you know, different ways that video games can be used and different uh, ways that stories can be told in general. Even if people don't play video games, I think there's... Still a lot to get out of this, and uh, and you never know. You know, we might happen upon the next Hideo Kojima somewhere in our travels, and uh, and yeah, we'd we'd love to hear more ideas from more people. So keep them coming, and tell your friends. It would help us out a lot. It's true, and I double want to hear pitches from people that don't play video games. I think yeah, that would be, be really, really cool. We are certainly open to discussing ideas for books or board games or anything. So, really, challenge us. Send something in that's uh, out of our wheelhouse, and let's see where we go with it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, anyways, I am going to wrap up this episode with a miniature pitch, something to think about on the, the way to work or school in the next few days. My idea today is Jenga, but with classic cars. <laughs> so That's see awesome. where you take that. <laughs> I call the Volkswagen bus. Mm. Oh, that, that feels like a really useful one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.